Good morning, everybody. Good to see you this morning. If you would, go ahead and stand up with me as we read the scripture together. This morning, we're going to be in Psalm 13. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes, or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, We have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. Thank you. You may be seated. Hope everybody's doing good today. We are... um continuing this series that we're in called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, based on a book called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, It's really just a few weeks to talk about grief, specifically how Christians grieve. And I know that every week there are people who it's your first time here, and I don't want to assume that everyone here knows uh, what we've been talking about. So if you'll allow me just a moment to kind of recap uh, where we have been and where we're going, we decided to take Uh, four weeks to talk about how Christians grieve, specifically at this time, because we are now about 20 to 22 months post uh, the world shutting down uh, because of the the pandemic and then riots and politics and all kinds of craziness. And uh, we're also headed into a holiday season, which should be, and for most people is a very joyous time, but it's also a time of year that is a reminder of what you've lost. I was talking to somebody this week who was talking about how tough uh, Christmas is going to be this year for their family because this is going to be the first Christmas without uh, one of their family members that they love so much. And and so because of that, instead of this year taking time to kind of do a fun Christmas thing, which we'll do uh, on the 19th and, and then our Christmas services, instead of doing that this year, I just felt like as your pastor, that we needed to take a little bit of time to talk about feelings and emotions and grieving and sadness and loss but not just grieving, specifically how Christians grieve. And there's a name for that. It's called lament. Maybe you've heard that word before. Maybe you haven't. There's a, a book in the Bible called Lamentations based on that word lament. But it is a specific way that Christians grieve, believers grieve. There's a way that those of us whose faith is in Jesus grieve that is not available to people whose faith is not in Jesus. And the Bible shows us uh, how to do that. But I wanted to talk about that because... Um, We have lost so much. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. I can't back this up with any facts. This is just my opinion. That I believe one of the reasons that our culture and our society is so angry and outraged right now is because anger is easier than sadness. And that really what we should be doing is grieving and dealing with sadness, but that requires a little too much vulnerability or we have not been... Uh, trained or educated or helped in how to deal with grief and sadness. And so the, the easiest exit ramp before you get to destination sadness and grief is anger. And that's why, you know, you don't pull off from the red light in time or you say something on lunch break about something innocent or, you know, a family member or, and it's just this angry triggered uh, response. I believe 
it's because we are not taking the time to sit in our sadness and our loss. And we've lost uh, schedule, routine, time. We've lost dreams. We've lost people we love. We've lost businesses. We've, we've lost faith in authority, some of us. And even as a church, we've lost church members and we've closed a campus in Shepherdsville and a coffee shop. There has just been a season in our society and in our world of loss. And anytime you deal with loss, you are dealing with sadness and grief. So this is, this is a series about how to lament. And there are four steps. Lamenting is a very specific thing, as I've said many times, that is for people of faith. And there's a way that you lament, and we're calling these four parts or four steps, even though they don't necessarily always go in exact chronological order. For the analytical people like myself, it's easy to, easier to kind of see it in steps or parts, but there's four parts to lamenting that the Bible teaches us. There is part one, which is turning to God. We turn to God. We don't turn to Facebook. We don't turn to our sister-in-law, Becky. You know, we don't turn to, no offense if your name's Becky, we're just using Becky as an example. <laughs> You know, there's Karen, but there's also Becky. You got to watch out for Becky too. Um, and, 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 and we want to turn to God. We want to turn to God. And when we turn to God, the next step is we, we want to complain to God, which we talked about last week, which feels a little bit weird, a little bizarre. Like, are we allowed to do that? We are. And the Bible shows us how to do that. Our complaints to God usually have to do with asking why and how long. Why is this happening? How long is this going to happen? We want to complain to God. That's okay. But we don't want to stop a complaint because if you just complain, you're a complainer. What we want to do is we want to then move to the next part, part three, which is asking. We, we move from complaining to asking to, of God. We're going to talk about that today. And then finally, we want to declare and put our trust in God. Turn, complain, ask, trust. This is the way that people of faith grieve. We lament. We lament, turn, complain, ask, and trust. And so this week and next week, we'll finish up this series. And then I'm going to, we've, we've been giving you the resources. We're going to keep, keep doing that. But then what I'm going to ask you to do and, and encourage you to do is to write your own lament. And I'm very excited about this. Uh, you're not going to share it with anybody that you don't want to share it with. You're not going to read it out loud. This is for you. But this is an opportunity for you, like the, the people of faith for thousands of years, um, this is going to be you an opportunity to, to have an honest conversation with God and write down a lament to God. We're going to um, encourage you to do that. So that's what we've been doing. And uh, this week we're talking about asking. We're talking about asking of God. And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to have permission and a vocabulary. Every week we're talking about permission and vocabulary. Permission and vocabulary. I'm allowed to be honest with God. And if I'm going to be honest with God, I kind of need somebody to help me how to, how to say what it is that I'm feeling because I'm not, you know, most of us were raised in environments where we were taught that, you know, you don't want to be too emotional, too needy, too vulnerable, kind of push it over in the corner somewhere. And then one of these days when you're like 41 and having a midlife crisis, you can go to counseling and you'll figure it out, right? And we don't want to do that. That to be a Christian means to be more human. Because our example is Jesus Christ, God as a human. So we want to be more human. The closer we get to God, the more we're in touch with our humanity. And so we're getting permission and vocabulary. And one of the ways that we've been getting a vocabulary is uh, there's a slide that I've been showing you every week. I want to show it to you again. 
And it's just understanding the seven primary emotions that we experience as human beings, whether you consider yourself not very emotional as a person or very emotional as a person. All human beings experience seven primary emotions throughout the day. Four of them are negative, two of them are positive, one is neutral. We've said that's probably why it's easier to be in a bad mood than a good mood, because you have twice as many negative emotions, primary emotions, as positive. Um, But your negative emotions, primary emotions, are fear, anger, sadness, and disgust. Your positive emotions are joy and excitement, and then your neutral is surprise. You can be surprised positively or negatively. And so every day as a human being, you are experiencing fear, you're experiencing anger, you're experiencing sadness. These are... Some, some dominant primary negative emotions. But the challenge is that we don't really want to own such a big word, such a big emotion. So somebody says, are you afraid? So I'm not afraid. I'm just a little bit, you know, uncertain. Or somebody says, are you angry? We say, I'm not angry. Like, it's not that bad. I'm just a little upset. Or someone says, are you sad? We say, I'm not sad. I'm just a little, you know, um, I'm just a little, you know, emotional right now, Right? But the reality is, is that we are sad, we are afraid, we are angry. And so uh, I've, I've given you some different words to help you begin to have a vocabulary to explain what it is that you're feeling. That anytime you feel uncertain, whether you're not sure if you're going to make it to the gas station before you run out of gas, or whether you're not sure if the world's going to end tomorrow, to the degree of the spectrum, if you're experiencing uncertainty, you are experiencing fear. It's okay to say, I'm afraid. It's okay to say that to someone you love and to God. Anytime you feel like something in your life is unfair, you are experiencing anger. And that could be because the coach of the co-ed five-year-old baseball team doesn't play your kid enough. Or that could be because you feel like there's a real injustice in the world, racism or, or, or something like that. To the degree of the spectrum, that's up to you. But if you feel like something is unfair, you are experiencing anger. Anytime you're dealing with loss or shame, you are dealing with sadness. If you feel like you've lost something, and that could be losing someone you love, or that could be losing an opportunity or uh, something like that, then, then you are experiencing sadness. And the way that God creates you and me is that each of us in our makeup kind of lean towards one of those three in a dominant way so that you, your, your dominant emotion is usually one of those three. That the, the way you respond first to a situation is either fear, anger, or sadness. For me, it's fear. I, I am constantly motivated trying to find certainty in life, right? But other people, it's anger. It's like everything feels unfair initially or for other people, it's loss. But it doesn't make you overly emotional or needy. It makes you human to understand that uncertainty and injustice and loss are kind of the the language of fear, anger, and sadness. You feel it. We want to have permission to verbalize it. And specifically, we want to verbalize it to God. And this helps us know what it is and how we can ask of God. We've said each week this quote by Alexander McLaren that a thought, be it good or bad, can be dealt with when it's made articulate. That a thought, whether it be good or bad, we just got to be able to verbalize it. We have to be able to, to put a name on it, to put a word on it. And once we do that, then we can deal with it. And the same is true for asking or requesting of God. That there are things that we want and need from God, but we don't exactly know how to say that. And so we're trying to to figure that out. 
So how do we ask of God? What are we allowed to ask for? How do we do that? And, and why don't we ask more? That's a great question. I was thinking about that this week for myself, you know, why I grew up in a, um, in a tribe of Christians that um, were just bold and, and so uh, confident in the way that they prayed to God. But again, because of my search for certainty in life, I always have tiptoed around this idea of like, you know, boldly claiming, you know, praying for God. And, and so even myself, I've just been trying to kind of figure my way through this about like, why don't I ask God for more? Why, why, why aren't I more confident in, in talking to God and uh, about these things? And I jotted down a few reasons that I struggle with. I think all of us can relate to some of these in some way, but I think all of us can relate to maybe one or two of them in a big way. And I want to give these to you. Um, just some reasons why we don't ask God for more. Um, here's one reason that we don't ask God for more is because we don't really talk to God that much at all. That's one reason. Maybe that resonates with you um, is that, you know, you have spiritual experiences, mystical experiences, a song on the radio moves you, a book falls off a bookshelf. It's very powerful, but you don't have a consistent discipline or habit of talking to God. And so when you don't have a consistent habit of talking to God, the only time you really ask of God is when a cop pulls you over, right? Because you're like, God, am I, like, long time, no talk, but like, let me just ask for something real quick, you know? Um, and so that's a challenge is we don't really talk to God much. Another reason that, you know, I thought of why I don't ask more, or maybe you don't ask more, is because we don't believe that God can or will answer our prayers, that he wants to, or that he can or he will it feels pointless. You know, prayer doesn't change things. God's going to do what God's going to do anyway, so don't even worry about it. Maybe you feel that way. Another reason I wrote down is because we feel like we're not allowed to ask God, right? Um, there's this idea that we just should take what life gives us and, um, you know, asking for something is not really allowed. Asking for something else is not really allowed. God knows better than we know. You know, we want his will anyway. He's working on something good for our life anyway. Just keep quiet, keep your head down, move forward. And make sure to throw, you know, your will be done on the end of anything you say, just in case, right? Um, maybe that's you. Another one, a fourth one I wrote down is, we don't know what to ask for. Which is crazy because we think, we, like, let me say this way. If I said to you, and this is not how it works, but I'm just, let's just be a little far-fetched for a second. Like, God gave me like a voucher it's in my pocket right now. And all I got to do is just hold it up to the sky. And like, that's like a cash in automatic prayer answered thing. Like it's a prayer answer voucher. Okay. And what you get one prayer and whatever it is, God's going to answer it. Now, there, initially you'd be like, yeah, I know exactly what I'd ask for. But then when you begin to think about it, you're like, well, I don't want to waste. I got one and I don't know. You know, I, I don't know. Some of us start immediately going to like a million dollars in world peace, but others of us think like healing for somebody who's sick or um, knowing that God's real. Like I would just want proof, you know, or, or whatever it is. And so we don't know what to, to ask for. On a day-to-day -day basis, we're not really sure like what we should be asking God for. And then maybe like me, like you start overthinking it. 
you know? And it's like, I don't want to cash in one. And then like, but that's a silly prayer, but like, there's like a quota of answered prayers. So if I wasted on a silly one, what about the serious one? It's like, dang it, God answered a prayer yesterday. Now I got to wait. Like, I don't know. You know, I'm just feeling, I'm overthinking it a little bit and I'm not sure. And like, yeah, so that's mine. And then I would say a fifth one is, uh, we feel like we're being selfish. We struggle to ask God because we feel like we're being selfish. And um, there's starving kids in the world, you know? I don't know if you knew that or not, but like there's kids starving and we're asking for a raise, you know? Um, and there, there are people enslaved and sex trafficking and, you know, we want a new car. And so like, are we allowed to pray about that? Is God like shaking his head? Like, really? Do you know what's happening over there? And and so we limit our requests because we feel like we're asking for too much or we're asking for silly things. Or like even being in a hospital, it doesn't feel silly, but like even praying for someone we love in a hospital room, we have to walk past 50 other rooms to get to that room. And it's like, well, why should God heal the person I love when he doesn't heal all the people that other people love? And I, you know, and, and who, who's more serious and who needs it more and all of these things. And we, we feel all of these different reasons. And so I want you to just take a moment before we move on and, and just kind of think a little bit about what it is, what, what, what are some of the reasons? If you had to pick, maybe, maybe you have others that are not on that list, but like if you, if you had to pick, what would you say is why you don't ask God more? Like, do you not talk to God? Do you not, do you not believe God will answer or can answer your prayers? Do you feel like you're not allowed to? Do you not know what to ask for? Do you feel like you're being selfish? Think about it for a moment. Why don't you ask God for more, more often? Which, which of these is most true for you? And this is why we're trying to give permission and vocabulary because the biggest hurdle to lament is feeling like you're allowed to do it and knowing what to say when you do it. And if I'm really mad, if I'm, if I'm really hurting, if I'm really confused, if I'm really distraught, you know, and I've, and, and I've also just complained to God. Like I just really let God have some honest feedback here. Now you're telling me I get to ask for something. How does that work? Well, we don't have to guess because the Bible models for us specifically in Psalms, in Psalm, the Bible models for us how to ask God. Uh, And this is important because we're not just talking about a random list of demands or a million dollars, or a new car, even though that may be, you know, what you need at the time. There's a specific way that we ask when we lament. There's a specific way that we ask when we lament. And I, you know, I told you last week that when we're talking about complaining to God, that one of the best ways to think about complaining to God is think about kids. If you're a parent, that when your kids get upset, they don't even think twice about complaining to their father. Well, that's not fair. Why do you not love me as much as you love them? Or why do they get what they want, but I don't get what I want? It's just a natural overflow of what they're feeling. Well, the same thing is true for our Heavenly Father when we're complaining to God. But kids also do something else besides just complain when they feel like something's not fair. Another thing that kids do with their father is they remind their dad of what their dad said they would do. And if there's one thing I know about kids, they forget to clean their room, but they never forget what you said you would do. Is that not true? No, 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 dad, you said, you said I could stay up 30 minutes later. You said I didn't have to get water this time. I could get a drink, dad. You said, you said you'd take me to the store, dad. You said, dad, that's what you said. Dad, dad, you said that, right? You said, dad. 
And so this is another way that we can think about the way that we're allowed to ask God when we're struggling. Just like our children would say to us, we are allowed to say to our heavenly father, God, you said, you said, you said. This is how we ask our father. We remind him. We remember ourselves and we remind him of the promises that he made. Now, we're not reminding him because he's forgotten. We're reminding him because we're asking him to act according to his character. We're asking him to act according to his character. Or we could say it like this. We're asking him to be who he says he is. We're asking him to be who he says he is. And, and, And so we... We say to God, God, you, you said, I remember, I remember. I remember the way, things you've promised and I remember the ways that you have answered prayers in the past. And the way that the psalmists do this is they use a very specific word to transition from complain to request. Complain, request. The word they use is yet, Y-E-T, yet. Everybody say yet. Yet, it's a very, it's a transitional word that moves us from complaining because we just don't want to complain the whole time. We complain until we're done complaining. But then we, we transition to asking and they use the word yet. And I wanna show you in Psalm 22. Now, this is not gonna be up on the screen because what I want you to do is I want you to actually grab a Bible somewhere underneath the seat in front of you, around you, there's a Bible. If you brought a Bible, you can use that. But I want you to actually put your eyeballs on it with me. I guess it would be your eyeballs if it was on the screen too. I didn't think about that. But I want you to hold the Bible or some form of the Bible and... um. And read it with me. Psalm 22. It's page 461, by the way, if you're using one of our hardback ones. I'm gonna read like the first 10 or 11 verses. And I wanna show you that there's a very specific way that the psalmist turns to God, complains and asks. And he uses this word yet. It's a very famous psalm because Jesus quoted this psalm on the cross. You'll recognize it at the beginning. Uh, Psalm 22, verse one, here's what he says. My God, my God. So, so he's talking to God. He's not talking to Becky, okay? He's not saying Becky. He's saying, my God, my God. Now he's complaining. Why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far when I grown forever? And we've said this each week. Is that true that God's abandoned him? No, but does it feel true? Absolutely. Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Complaints. Now look at verse three. Yet, everybody say yet. Yet, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. This is his character. Our ancestors trusted in you and you rescued them. I'm remembering they cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. Now he's going to go back, verse six, he's going to go back to complaining. Remember, it doesn't happen in chronological order all the time. He's going to go back. But I am warm. I am a worm and not a man. I am scorned and despised by all. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Here it is, verse nine. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. And then he asks, verse 11, do not, uh, do not stay so far from me. This is 
the model that we have, the example that we have of turning to God, complaining. But at some point after our complaints, we transition to asking with this word yet. We're going to remember and request. We're going we're to transition and, and remind God and remind ourselves of who he is so we can ask him to act like he is. Now, you probably don't use the word yet um, in your vocabulary a lot in this way. And so, again, trying to be very practical and give you this vocabulary, we're going to change that to the word but. The two words that will help you transition from complaining to asking are the words but and so. But and so. And I'm going to show you this. But complaint is why and how long. Why and how long. And then asking is but and so. But and so. Why is this happening, God? How long is this going to happen, God? But so. I'm going to throw a sentence up on the screen. This is a way that this is something you can take to begin getting comfortable making your requests to God. We gave you some of this last week with the feel because, again, we're, we're, we're being honest about how we're feeling. But God, I feel blank. I feel alone. I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed. I feel uh, pointless. Life feels pointless. I feel like it doesn't matter what I do. I feel embarrassed, whatever it is, right? We don't want to just sit in our feelings. We want to be there. We're not in a hurry to move on. But as we are identifying what it is that we're feeling, now we're going to transition. We're going to remember. But I know what? What do I know? Because what I'm feeling is, is not necessarily true, but I know some things that are true. And I'm going to give you those in just a second. And after I have declared and remembered and what, is, what I know is true, so I'm asking for what it is I'm asking for. God, I feel blank, but I know blank, so I'm asking Blank. God, I feel so alone, but I know that you promised never to leave me or forsake me. So I am asking you to be with me now. You see how this works? My feelings, my complaints, me remembering what is true and my requests that I make to God. This is how Christians grieve and ask of God. And so you may be asking yourself, okay, well, I, what do I know? I don't know what I know. What do I know? Well, we look to the Bible, we look to Scripture to be able to hold on to the truths that we know. And I just jotted down a few. There's a lot, a lot more, so I would encourage you to read the Bible for yourself and don't just take my word for it. But go ahead and throw up, throw up the next one, if you will, guys. Here are, here are just a few things that we know, know that no matter what we are feeling, we can know, we know, God, you are faithful. Faithful. Well, how do we know he's faithful? Because we can think of all, all days that he has been faithful before. God, I, God, I know you love me. Well, how do, we, how do we know that he loves us? Because he, he sent on Jesus to die for us. God, I, God, I know you're working for my good. How do we know? We know it doesn't feel like you're working for my good. How do I know you're working for my good? Because Romans 8 tells, tells us all things are working together for the good of those, those who are in Christ Jesus. This is true, true no matter what we feel. God, I know you, you want to bless me. If, 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 our, if our earthly father would give good gifts to his children, how much more our heavenly fathers, what the scriptures tell us. 
God, I know that you have forgiven me. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. I feel, I feel condemned. But God, I know you have forgiven me. God, I know you're in control. Everything feels out of control. But God, I know you are in control. God, you have created me for a purpose. How do I know that? Because Ephesians says that he created us for good works planned before our life ever began. I know you created me for a purpose, that life is not meaningless. God, I know you know what I need. How do we know that he knows what we need? Matthew 6 tells us that our heavenly father knows what we need even before we ask. So even when we feel like God doesn't know and God doesn't care, we can know that things are, are true. We can know these things because the Bible tells us these things are true. And so as you begin to read the Bible, anytime you come across things that are promises or truths or declarations about God, you, you mark those, you take those and you, and you put them into your life and store them in the bank of your faith. God, I feel powerless, but I know that the same power that raised you from the dead now lives in me. I know that's true, God. I know it's true. You said it was true, God. God, I know that you will come back. I know that I will spend eternity with you. And life feels like hell right now, but I know that I will get to be with you forever. I know these things are true. I'm beginning to know what I feel and learn how I feel. My feelings don't always tell me the truth and it's okay to feel them. They're valid if I feel them. Doesn't mean they're true, but they're valid. But I also know some things to be true. And so as I begin to remind God and remember myself what is true, then I begin to ask. So, so what is it that I ask of God? Well, in the Psalms, they, they ask specifically for nine things. Now, there's a lot more that you could ask for than the nine things, but we want to kind of ground what we're asking for in Scripture. And so throw the next slide up, guys. There are nine things in the, psalm that the Psalms that the psalmist asks for. And in the New Testament, and kind of for us, we tend to think about prayer in terms of outcomes, like, like, God, I'm praying for this so that it will end up this way. But in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, it was not as much about outcomes. There were outcomes, but it was more about it was more about the presence of God and the peace of God and, and, and assurance from God and things like that. And so these are the nine types of requests that psalmist prayed in the Psalms. I've put some modern language beside them because again, we're trying to get a vocabulary. But, but one of the things you hear the psalmist pray and request all the time is arise, O Lord, are you sleeping? Like, in other words, he's saying like, God, I need you to show up. I need you to show up, God. Grant us help is just the way they were saying, help me. I need help. Help me, God. Remember your covenant. That's just another way of saying, you said, God, you said. Remember the covenant you made, the promises you made. Let justice be done. This is another way they request. In other words, they're saying, make it right. This ain't right, God. And God, you said that, that you would judge fairly. You said that you are a just God. And so God, I need you to make this right. Don't remember our sins. This is a request made all the time in the Psalms. What are they saying? They're saying, look, I ain't perfect. Don't hold it against me. 
If, if your judgments are going to be solely based on whether or not I, I made any mistakes or not, I'm out. But God, you promise not to remember my sins, to forgive my sins. So don't hold it against me. Restore us is another way. Give it back. You know, I feel like I've lost my reputation. I've lost my patience. I've lost my joy. Yeah. Give it back. Restore it to me. Don't be silent. It's just like respond. I, I can't feel you. I don't know what's, why you're being so distant. I, I pray, but don't feel like you hear me. Don't be silent. Show me, give me something, God, to just respond in some way. Teach me. It means teach me. Teach me. Just what, what am I supposed to be learning here, God? Teach me your ways. And then vindicate me. Defend me. Hide me in your shelter. Vindicate me. Defend me. I'm going to stand still and let you fight for me. I know what people are saying about me, God, but you can, only you can vindicate me. Only you can defend me. So there are, there are more things you can ask for. It doesn't have to be these things, but these are biblical asks, biblical requests. After they reminded God of his character and reminded God of who he was, then, then, they, then they transitioned to so. God, I feel, but I know, so help me show up. Just, God, don't hold it against me. Give it back. Respond to me, God. Defend me, God. Teach me, God. Right? This is how we grieve. This is how we transition from complaining to asking God. So throw that sentence back up there for me, if you would. I don't know how you would fill in these blanks. I I jotted down a few examples just to kind of help you. Maybe you would say, God, I feel betrayed, but I know that you have forgiven me of great sins. So I'm asking you to give me the strength and the ability to forgive the person who hurt me. God, I feel so alone, but I know that you promised to never leave me or forsake me. So I feel like you've left me and everyone has left me, but God, I know you haven't left me because you, first of all, have the Holy Spirit with me. God, I know that to be true. But second of all, like you promised you never would. So I don't feel you around here, but I know God, you haven't left me. So I'm asking you to show up and let me feel your presence again in a very real way. God, I feel so powerless against this sin that keeps dominating me. Cycles, falling, cycles, falling. I feel like it's never gonna get better. I feel like it doesn't matter what I do. I feel like I'm a a, a failure. I feel embarrassed. I feel ashamed. I feel like I've got to lie. I just feel like I'm never going to get power over this sin that dominates me. I feel powerless, but I know that you have given me power over sin and that your spirit lives in me and there is a battle waging, but God, you are bigger and greater than this sin. So I'm asking you to help me to resist this temptation, to lay this sin down. God, I feel, but I know, so I'm asking. This is the language of Christians grieving and lamenting for thousands of years. We get to be a part of this. Now I wanna say one more thing and then we're gonna pray together. But not only is this a great way for you to pray for yourself as you are lamenting, but this is also a great way for you to pray for other people. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes like somebody comes to you and says, I'm really dealing with depression and anxiety. Will you pray for me? Like, I, I don't know what to pray exactly. You know, am I going bold and, you know, declaring like they're never going to feel this way again? 
I don't want to do that because I don't know. But then am I just being like, well, God, you know, just help them. You know, your will be done. I don't know. I mean, I mean that, but I don't know. Like, where am I at here? Right? Somebody says, hey, you know, the doctor just told me I have cancer. Will you pray for me? I want to pray, God, in Jesus' name, heal the cancer. It's gone in Jesus' name. Go get another test. Like, that's what I want to say. But I don't know. So I'm like, you know, God, you made the body, so just be with them. Your will be done. I don't, I don't know. But I don't have to know. I can use this template and I can go to God about how we're feeling in this moment. I can remind God out loud with this person what I know is true. And I can boldly and confidently make a request to God. I don't have to feel bothered about that. And what I found is that praying for someone else who needs their spirits lifted lifts my spirits. And what I found as someone in seasons of life that doesn't know how to pray, when someone who does know how to pray prays for me, it gives me confidence. Somehow that spirit is kind of like handed off to me. Man, I love being around people who confidently pray. You know, it's just like, I, I mean, I got some prayer, you know, like I can journal with the best of them, all right? But sometimes I just need somebody to just like thunder. You know what I mean? I, I grew up with like parents and grandparents, like they thunder. So sometimes I just need somebody to like, just have a, have a you know, pep rally with Jesus for me. You know what I mean? And something happens when they begin to do that. Like my spirit gets lifted. And so we can use this to pray for other people. And I was so encouraged this week. I was talking to, to Vicki who was telling me about praying for their son who's in the hospital. And she was telling me that, you know, obviously the hospitals are with COVID right now and everything and you can't get in there and different stuff. And she said that, that her friends and her family from CR called her and said, hey, we can't come in, but we're out here in the parking lot praying for you. And would you want to come out here and pray with us? And she said, I would. And they went out there and together, they prayed together in the, in the hospital parking lot for this need that's so great. And I was so encouraged by that thinking like, yes, that's what the family of God does. We come together and this person doesn't know what to say, but these people do. And so we pray together, but then these people don't know what to say, but they do. And so we come together and we pray together. Because we're, you know, we just feel so many different things all the time. And we need to be reminded of what's true. And we need to be encouraged to ask again and again and again and again. So we turn to God. We complain to God. And we ask of God. And we'll finish it up next week talking about trusting God. But what I want to do is end with our congregational prayer together. And then Kaylee and the team are going to come and lead us in some songs. While that's happening, you're going to have the opportunity to take communion. And, you know, one of the reasons that we take communion is because it is a objective way to remember that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we, we believe that that body and that juice represents the, the, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is a tangible, objective, we, we feel it. Our hands, our fingers are touching it and remembering what is true, that Jesus Christ left heaven 
came to earth, lived a sinless life, didn't deserve to die, died on the cross. His blood forgives our sins and heals our diseases. His body was broken for us. And we remember. And we remember. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we have the opportunity to to take communion and worship and pray together. And you know what? Maybe I, I was just thinking about this in between services and, you know, I don't want to get weird by any means, but um, we're Christians. We believe weird things. Um, Maybe as we're singing and taking communion and praying, like if you feel so led without making a scene, maybe you know someone here in your family, church family, that is really going through something and maybe struggling to know how to pray for themselves. But maybe you have enough faith or enough courage or enough confidence to go and to pray with them and to pray for them and, and, and go to God on their behalf. I think that would be beautiful over these next five or ten minutes, maybe in appropriate ways to just go and find some of our brothers and sisters in our family of God and, and pray for them because we know um, what they're going through. And then there's also going to be elders and, and leaders uh, up here that you can come to to pray for, pray with you as well. But I'm going to pray this congregational prayer for us, and then you can join me at the end in bold, okay? God, here I am in great need, but still I find it hard to ask you for the thing I most want. I feel as if I'm not allowed or my requests are selfish. Instead of feeling like your child, I feel like a borrower. Have I exceeded my limit? Are my requests too great? But you are not insulted by my requests, O Lord. You are not so high and mighty that you are unable to sympathize with my weaknesses. You were a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Even you, the Son of God, cried out to your Father. So here I am now, O Lord, doing the same. I only know my most urgent needs, not my deepest ones. And so I need the Spirit of God to pray for me, to intercede on my behalf, to ask for those things I do not have the faith to believe. Join me. Remember me, O Lord. Hear my cry. Nothing is too hard for you. I need you now. Amen.